0: Good morning. This is the Real Estate for Breakfast podcast. I'm your host, Phil Coover. I'm a partner in Ice Miller's Real Estate Practice Group. Uh, today, joining me is uh, my longtime frequent co host, Jay Augustin, also a partner in the Real Estate Practice Group. Jay, thanks for participating today. Hey, thanks for having me, Phil, as always. Awesome. And today we have Willie Hogue, one of the co founders of Tether Advisors. Willie, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thank you for having me. A long time coming.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, we've worked uh, kind of adjacent to each other for years in companies that collaborated together. And uh, more importantly, we we share a dentist, uh, Emilio uh, at Dente Dentistry. So we should get that shout out out of the way up top. I know all the listeners are very excited about it.
1: I shout him out all the time just because you can probably tell I've got a substantial overbite. He's got a lot of work to do with me. So he's he's a big part of my uh, my career and success so shout out to Dr. Emilio. Uh
0: <laughs> yeah, well he's he's doing good work. Your, your smiles fantastic and uh we, you Thank know you. world of Emilio one of uh, also a you know a great writer. Cranks out a lot of content.
1: He is awesome. I like I he's almost a motivational speaker life coach for me.
0: I love his writing. <laughs> it really is um so I <laughs> challenge anybody to find a, a dentist that is a better writer well willie can you tell us about tether advisors and your background yeah so um and again thanks for having me um
1: we started tether advisors uh, in august of 2020 uh amidst all the tumult tether advisors is a First and foremost, a real estate advisory firm, we're boutique. We like to think we're, we're nimble and fleet-footed, and uh, we are working from the ground up with a lot of uh, emerging brands and concepts. Um, by and large, and primarily, it's, it's upstart brands in the, the medtail or medical retail uh, segment, but we also um, are looking for those sustainable brands, kind of the new era of, of tenants and clients that are going to be uh, the sustainable occupants of consumer space in the future. We also have a side of our firm that works with developers and, and landlords doing product leasing, but a lot of uh, development consultation for you know single tenant to, to three tenant buildings. And once again, uh, one one side kind of feeds the other in the sense that we're we're looking for. Amidst the the scarcity of uh, new tenants for this new era of brick and mortar space, who are going to be the the exciting and, and dynamic uh, occupants of of the future?
0: Thanks, and you know, tell us a little bit about your background, because I think it's just kind of interesting the shift from traditional retail to what Tether advisors are doing. I I feel like you are the curve, like you're, you're leading kind of the transition from the old school power centers, brokerage of old to brands expanding nationally. And I feel like you are blazing that, that path.
1: Thank you for that. I I think I'm hopefully on the tip of the spear, or at least have, have a half step, uh, you know, lead in terms of what, what the new way of doing things on tenant representation will be. You know, I started with Mid-America real estate. Mid-America was a, uh, you know, great uh, place to start because they had uh, regional um, dominance, frankly, around the Great Lakes. They started as a tenant representation firm, one of the first tenant representation firms, uh, you know, certainly in the Midwest, but their, their market share is fantastic. And, uh, a really great story amidst the, the JLLs and CBs that they continue to thrive. Um, I really specialized under Jeff Cushman there um, as a tenant rep. Some of my first clients and experience was working with LA Fitness as they um, you know started to build out their now plus 50 club footprint in Chicagoland. Um, and Aspen Dental was another early client I had. And I mentioned those two always, first and foremost, because they really represented uh, the changing landscape of retail space. That service clients that were, you know, became known as Amazon impervious, though I don't think that's true of anyone. You know, they were looked at a little bit as landlords saying, why do you need to be out front and center? Let's let's tuck you in the back corner. For LA Fitness, it was we. Why do we? Uh, why do we want all these sweaty people who won't shop at our our stores? There's no synergy. You take too much parking. Uh, there was a stigma, certainly, to uh, a tenant like LA Fitness, just as there was a stigma to Aspen Dental of Do you really need to be next to Starbucks or Panera or Chipotle out on Main and Main? Um, you're a dentist office. Your your patients know where to find you. Uh, we'll tuck you in in the back corner. Uh, near Hallmark and GNC, Aspen and LA were building brands. They, they believed that they needed to be at the forefront uh, of their customer or patient's minds because customer and patient acquisition is a highly competitive business. Um, there's a finite amount of, of market share to get, and brick and mortar real estate is one way that they really define and refine their brands for that acquisition process through the years at mid-america i represented a number of other tenants I, i was fortunate enough to be uh at front row seat of the the mattress wars of chicagoland where we represented sleepies i i learned every nook and cranny in chicago through that process we located a store everywhere but my parents basement at the time and it was a great learning curve uh because it was so highly competitive you needed to know the intel of where your competitor was going You needed to be first to react and you needed to know the every corner in Chicagoland um, to really do that job well. It was it was a very competitive landscape. Uh, And as I went to Mid-America, I I was fortunate enough to become director of of tenant representation there. Um, I became a partner about 10, 11 years in and, you know, really got to see from from the front row seat some of the best tenant reps in in Chicagoland and how to do that job.
0: Fantastic. And, you know, tell us with that background as context, you know, tell us about your decision uh, with you and your co-founder, Sean Bossy, to to break off with your team and to start Tether and uh, what you're looking to accomplish.
1: Yeah, it clearly had been after 2000. 2009, 2010, a changing landscape. A lot of uh, a lot of brokers and developers went back to the same party with the same list of, of tenants doing power centers and development in the same way. I really started to see the writing on the wall for how the landscape was changing. In Chicagoland as an example, the notion of 500,000 square foot power centers going up in in farm fields, seemed like it only had so much run. Um, the notion of, I'll put PetSmart and Walmart on this corner, I'll do Petco and Target on the other corner, you do Dix, I'll do Sports Authority. The, the changing landscape was one of, of efficiency. And it looked like the saturation models of old with some of these national tenants was running its course. Restaurants, uh, the food, fun, um, and fitness was really starting to come to the the front and center of the new landscape of shopping centers. And with that came uh, a changing uh, landscape for tenants. They were getting smaller in size. It was becoming much more of a uh, service-oriented world with the threat of Amazon, obviously. The death of, of the regional mall and all brick and mortar, though overstated, was certainly going to be disrupted by online shopping by Amazon and just by the sheer fact that there's only so much uh, brick and mortar space that we can put into the landscape across the country. We obviously have much more per capita built than, than anywhere else. And within that, we, we started to see a, a, a new breed of, of tenant. We got into Medtail, um, I obviously mentioned I had been representing Aspen Dental and, and saw their model. But we saw also how ATI Physical Therapy um, was was rolling out. My partner Sean Bossy won the national account for ATI Physical Therapy. Um, they were twenty two to twenty five hundred square feet, and he was representing them across the country. Um, he did deals in uh, thirty six states, I believe, with ATI, and doing eighty to one hundred and twenty deals a year. He and with our help, developed uh, a national network of some great brokers on the ground. I don't mean to be ageist, but it was a it was a younger generation that knew what was going on in every corner of their market, but at the same time, uh, were polished enough that they could avail themselves well in in the boardroom if need be. You know, it was a network that, frankly, we we use today. But that ATI physical therapy relationship told us that. The medical retail shift that was happening, brand building, and the need for brick and mortar for some of these tenants was coming at exactly the right time. There were only so many restaurants that, that could fill space. There were only so many cell phones. A changing category um, and one that was starting to be embraced by the real estate community was medical retail. You always were going to need uh, high touch for physical therapy. You, you need to go somewhere. Can't do it over the phone when you're talking about dental, optical, um, urgent care, obviously. We really saw this take full effect when we started representing Oak Street Health. We got introduced to the Oak Street Health people through our ATI relationships. We didn't know anything about the senior primary care category, and you know, we we had to educate ourselves quickly because. Oak Street was the type of tenant that was completely new for institutional and local landlords alike. They were, uh, <laughs> I think they had nine clinics when we started with them in Chicago and a couple in Indiana. And they were, we really developed our team to be their outsourced real estate department. Um, they had two people who were handling all things real estate from LOI to pipeline management to site selection getting on a plane. It was inherently not scalable and Oak Street Health investors wanted them to grow fast. Oak Street is, as I said, senior primary care centers. They're treating seniors um, who have Medicare Advantage plans. And we saw this new, this, this evolving landscape where value-based care was going to be the norm, which is changing the healthcare system away from fee-for-service treating sickness to preventative wellness, preventative health. This was not, in the real estate context, a dialysis center or an urgent care where the landlords might rightfully say, you know, I don't want or I don't see the value in that use in our center. In actuality, this was, um, you know, a uh, they had a great model, which was we will go into healthcare deserts. We will be a, a meeting place to keep the most vulnerable of our population, seniors in, in underserved communities, well, and we will put these centers in everyday needs corridors near grocery stores or, or otherwise, you know, high convenience, high accessibility centers. And they'll it's a really it just became a really cool model that we we needed to be their brand ambassadors to really espouse what their narrative was, so that these landlords and investors and municipalities would get excited about the notion that that these centers were going to be coming to their town and doing healthcare in a different way.
2: How did you go about educating uh, educating the landlords? Right, so you're obviously changing the model. The landlords are in a, a you know a state of flux, you know, in their retail centers. Uh, but obviously, this wasn't a, a typical tenant that they might have otherwise been targeting for their centers. How did Tether go about educating landlords? Either kind of how you had a platform of education, or how you targeted individual communities specifically uh, as to the value of these, this kind of new type of tenant in their retail center. How did that? How did those conversations evolve? It
1: appealed to my team in, in a different way than let's let's represent the new apparel store or. Uh, you know, the the new uh, sandwich shop, because it did require a deep dive and and some, frankly, creative thinking on what the touch points that, that the landlord would want to see. We had already known from some of our work with ATI and, and Aspen that medical retail was looked at as, you know, at best, the, the tail on the dog that, yeah, I guess I need to fill space. So, you know, you can have this space over here. To get landlords excited about Oak Street when their model was still a well-founded hypothesis, but still a hypothesis um, in terms of profitability and sustainability, we oftentimes were facing the stigma of, again, aren't you just like the plasma uh, category? Aren't you just like uh, dialysis? Or aren't you urgent care? And The notion of what their mission was, which was not just preventative wellness and driving up patient or driving up doctor's visits and making the patient comfortable to come in on a regular basis. They were also doing community engagement. They were reaching out to the the grandsons and the family that care for seniors was holistic and it, it had to be supported by the family. And we needed to tell landlords that this mission was socially impactful, not unlike the Whole Foods uh, deal that was done in, in Englewood uh, by Leon Walker and and his team. Yeah. Oak Street Health going into that center was uh, kind of a self-perpetuating social impact mission, which is a lot of these seniors don't have even socialization. They're not seeing enough people. And, and loneliness, frankly, um, is... Uh, predeterminate cause of of ill health in seniors. Oak Street was doing cool things like movie nights and bingo nights. They were doing classes in their centers. They were making it less scary and more approachable to visit your doctor. And here's the thing. That's positive for all of us because the bottom line is the reason that our healthcare system is, is so inefficient and, you know, it's not irreparable, but it certainly has a lot of fissures in the foundation is we are always reactive in treating sickness and, and going to the specialist to run a battery of tests. The notion and hypothesis that has since been proven uh, with Oak Street was if we can be proactive in our patient's health and make them feel comfortable and not scared and not waiting too long to go to a doctor, that will benefit all of us because we can treat that patient for X amount of dollars per year instead of the acute shock that results when a senior. Never goes to the doctor, and all of a sudden they land a, a five hundred thousand dollar doctor bill because they're having to go, and you know they're they're in the OR for way too long. Um, all of us as uh, payers in the insurance system are paying for that. The families sometimes are burdened with that debt that a lot of it could have been staved off with more proactive care. So on the brand narrative side, we we consider ourselves to be ambassadors for. Um, a lot of our clients, which is they're not just primary care. They're definitely not urgent care or dialysis. They are creating an entirely new category that is going to be beneficial and advantageous for all. We just need you, Mr. Landlord, to accept that mission statement because we really need to be in your center. And we really think, by the way, that your co-tenants will like us. The families are going to be bringing the patients to this office. They're going to cross shop. The reason we're running into a raw stress for less as a co-tenant so often is because our patient is the same as their shopper. And we're trying to keep their shopper, uh, you know, we're trying to drive up the quality of life so they can be uh, a shopper of those co-tenants for a longer amount of time. So showing some of those synergies and explaining how it differed from really anything, any category these landlords had seen before um required a lot of education for us and, and really a lot of listening, frankly, and collaborating with how we would craft that, that message, which would involve meetings and would involve developing a lot of PR and collateral and thought leadership stuff um, so there would be brand awareness ahead of us landing in these communities.
2: I guess if you could discuss for us a little bit how um, kind of shifting your platform and creating this new platform at Tether allowed you to embed yourself so deeply with Oak Street and other similar clients, the level of engagement that you've just described Uh, You know whether it's being you know serving as a de facto in-house real estate team or thinking through brand awareness or thinking through public relations, that's a heavy lift, and you're now doing it on a platform, you know, on on your own smaller platform. But what were the advantages aside from the talent that you've brought on board? uh, What are the 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 core philosophies of Tether that really made the marriage of of Tether and Oak Street and clients like Oak Street so great?
1: that's a great question. And by the way, I'm 26 years old. It's, it is a heavy lift. I mean, look at how, look at, look at how I look right now. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a story from the old realm that I go back to very often of, of what tenant rep had become um, and, and where I had an epiphany. I was on a tour uh, with one of my partners at America, and we were, we were with Golfsmith, and I can say this because they're they're now uh, defunct. And we were touring through the, the suburbs, and there was a guy in the back seat. There's always like, uh, there was always a backseat guy. He had his shades on. I think he was in operations, and he had been uh, entertained the night before with the Callaway guys. And the Callaway guys had had uh, basically rolled out the red carpet for Golfsmith. This guy, I was like, why is he? being, uh, you know, he was was kind of obtuse the whole time. He had shades on. It looked like he was snoozing at one point. And I'm spending a whole day. We've prepared this whole tour. We argued before the tour about who was going to drive. And I made my my partner drive. He got a car wash before. um, And we roll up to, I think, the third site of the day in Deerfield. And he's saying his first words of the day. They're not really words, though. It's like guttural groans. And he's motioning that he needs to to get the door open as soon as possible. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to do so. He rolled down the window. It got about halfway down. And uh, the the Jamesons from the night before, I'm almost positive because it is in my olfactory senses to this day. Uh, the Jameson from the night before splattered back on me. It, it looked like, uh, you know, November in Dallas, 1963, when we were all done and rolled up to the gas station. And I thought, I thought to myself, and by the way, we never, we never got uh, a deal out of that whole tour. We were supposedly value-add and treated appropriately uh, like the value we were adding that day, which was picking up strangers at an airport, showing them a couple sites that you've shown to the, the client two weeks prior hopefully getting a, a couple sites approved to negotiate a non-legally binding piece of paper that we then throw to the Philip Coovers of the world and say, clean up our mess. The value proposition of, of tenant representation and, and how it was being done, it was incumbent upon me. I didn't feel good about where I was going in, in the industry and, and what the expectations were. And the thing was, a lowering tide lowers all boats. And, and there are a lot of of brokers who, who can get by and, and have a good career just kind of doing that and touring around. But I didn't feel like I was adding value and I appropriately got the, the blowback very literally on my pants that day. <laughs> what, what, I, what really cemented during COVID and the early days of COVID and before that, but I I really wanted to be thought of as as a value add, that I'm extension of of these brands, that I am the front line for them on the PR side, that the first way you know of some brands, market to market, is through the broker telling the narrative. And I better know your competitors, how you're differentiated, what your market share is, how you're vulnerable. I really have always taken it seriously to educate myself and have intellectual curiosity about what I'm doing. But just being a C-ball, hit-ball broker, um, I, I didn't feel good about myself. So during COVID, the early days, I really rolled up my, my sleeves in, in March, April, May. And I said, I'm, I'm going to be working pro bono for probably the next number of months. Turned out to be a lot longer than that. But I need to help out my clients especially the ones who are the most vulnerable today but are going to be the most important impactful and sustainable coming out the other end of this by and large and luckily for me many of my clients um, were emerging brand restaurants that are you know changing the game and going to half step step forward in full service dining like lazy dog the real estate community needed lazy dog to survive but right then Lazy Dog was was facing a huge cash crunch and needed their landlords to really um, be empathic to the plight they were facing. For my medical retail guys, it was about creating an ecosystem and a community where we could set up calls that the head of ATI could talk to the head of Aspen Dental, two groups that really hadn't communicated before, but could share notes about what they were seeing, how their business was being affected, and what their strategy was to survive. We want a lot of new clients just on the basis of you don't need to do you don't need. We're, we're not asking for anything in return. but we believe in your brand and we want to help you and we're going to write letters to the landlord and we're going to explain how you're going to come out the other end smelling like roses. but right now the the immediacy of your plight, the landlord needs to see that that you good vets as an example, you know, a really modern upscale, changing the veterinary game, For the new era of of urban dwellers, explaining to the landlord that look, the business is down 70%. And we here's the pathway of how we're going to come out of this when things return to to some sense of normalcy. But we want a lot of new clients on that basis of just add value. Just be there for your client and really tell the story and educate the investors and the landlords about where this brand is going to be. Um, you know, a year from now when things return to normal. I will also add that on a value-add side, you know, these a lot of these tenants uh, had leases. They didn't even know where the, the, the leases were. Um, they didn't, you know, some of it's kept on Excel, Post-it notes. We decided at tether that we were going to need to add cloud-based services for these emerging concepts that, you know, hadn't taken the time to implement some systems like lease administration or facilities management. They didn't want or have the money for these big enterprise solutions that were really labor intensive. They didn't have a lot of infrastructure. And we said, let's vet out some of these solutions for our clients about Mm -hmm. what's right for them on some of these ancillary services. We're not gonna provide it, we're a boutique firm and we're not about to all of a sudden hire an 80 person team to do it right. And the enterprise solution that a lot of our competitors are, are making some of these brands pay for, it's not the right tool for the right job. Let's actually do the work and research and solve some of these problems that these brands didn't know they had before COVID. So coming out the other end, when we meet the new brand, we can put in and implement preemptive solutions that they don't know they need yet. But when they're about to scale, they're not going to have time to take a half step back and implement these systems. So let's actually be preemptive and solve problems that they don't even know are going to arise. Those are just two examples of uh, analytics is, is, by the way, the other holy grail of, you know, right now it's an arrow in the quiver of uh, these clients who are looking to mitigate their risk when choosing real estate. Let's find the right solution for them that that can be a, a risk mitigator where we can say, hey, my gut says this. I've had enough reps doing this, but let's see what the science side says and let's blend these together. And here's what we're doing to prioritize market strategy.
0: Willie, I mean, what jumps out is uh, is two things. Is One, just the way that you talk about Oak Street Health as an example, but also Aspen Dental and some others. I don't think I've ever heard a broker take five-plus minutes to just explain why their client is good for the world. And it was almost like you're trying to pitch customers, not a landlord, on leasing to these, uh, which I found was really remarkable just that you, you believe in what they're doing and you want to help. And then the other, you know, thinking about the cloud-based solutions, it's also just, it jumps out to me that you're thinking about how can we truly help these companies even just before they even know what they need um, to help them scale and help them develop their business rather than just uh, what's their immediate need and how can I get them space so I can make a commission which is kind of your traditional brokerage mindset. I mean, it really I mean, it jumps off off the page, so to speak, to hear you talk in ways that is not how a lot of brokers talk about their business. Um, you, you're welcome to comment on that. And maybe this relates, but I was also just kind of curious about the name Tether and how you and Sean, your team came up with the name Tether, and, and maybe that that all ties together. You just tied it together for me. Yeah. That was great. Well,
1: I, I think I know that authenticity reigns supreme right now. I I'm not by any means um, Mother Teresa. This isn't just just straight up a mission of altruism. What it is for me. I feel passionate about the right brands. We do have, um, you know, the partial luxury of, on a client representation basis, we represent brands that we're really we think are dynamic, that we think are going to be at the vanguard of of the new normal. That if we can get excited about it then we can be authentic in proselytizing that message to others. And it's really important to us. It's Frankly, it's the benefit of the category of medical retail with all of the, these burgeoning um, groups coming out and saying, let's fix this clearly broken system that we can be authentic and passionate about it because it needs to be done differently. And on the side of, of Tether, you know, frankly, the real estate industry and the naming in the real estate industry is... It's. I think it's the second oldest industry, and I think we all know the first. So, in terms of <laughs> names, it was a. And, and there, there can be some, uh, you know, some synchronicity between those two. But there can be um, a, a side of things a, about being too cute. And and I'll be honest with you, it was a long. It was a long talk about who we are and who we wanted to be. Brand was very important um, to me. Mid America um, had a brand that was uh, that stated that they were retail laser focused, and the business card said Mid America. We are increasingly doing probably seventy to eighty percent of of our core business out of the Midwest and out of the state. So that brand in, inherently, uh, we were doing something differently. So we really wanted to be, you know, contemplative on what we wanted the brand to say. And it's kind of a contradiction in terms when I say uh, here are cloud-based solutions for some of our clients, and we uh, branded ourselves as what seems to be an a kind of analog when everybody is unplugging and everybody is getting rid of of wires. Tether is is a purposeful contradiction in terms that we believe that we are really um, another appendage of our clients, and when we're acting as an outsourced real estate department, um, we are tying ourselves to that client. And we are getting involved in a lot of different departments. Sometimes it's, it's the branding for them. Um, we certainly believe that we are uh, on the, the design side, as I already mentioned on the PR side, but Tether speaks to both the five of us being tethered together, sometimes some days for better or worse, but also to our clients that we are going to be tied into them and really putting client service above all else. But we are also, frankly, tied to a national network of, of experts. We believe we're one call away. We are one line away. If we don't know the answer, we like to think that the community that we've developed, um, we're one degree removed from, from a solution that, that can work. So Tether really speaks to, frankly, we're, we could have called ourselves Barnacle too, I guess, because that's, that really is, you know, some of the messaging is we're, we're here for you and we're we're in it for the long run and it's not just a fee for service and go home cuz yellow eye got signed
2: you know one of the challenges that we've had during the pandemic is how to keep our keep our team together so as you've both launched a new venture and also reoriented you know a careers worth of national uh, national contacts to the to the new brand, to the new philosophy, how have you approached that here in the last nine to ten months? You know, you haven't been able, by and large, to travel. You haven't been able to kind of have those kind of personal touch points that allows for the you know the sharing of ideas and the conveyance and of you know philosophy and, and shared purpose. How have you gone about kind of making uh, you know making the brand real and actualizing on your vision in light of all the challenges uh, everyone's had in the last year or so?
1: Yeah, it's it's such a good question, and um, I I think about it a lot. And we've been fortunate on the client side that amazingly we we have been winning new clients since early on in the pandemic um, through a screen and them saying we we trust what you've done for us thus far, and we trust in, in what you say you're going to do for us, and we we want to sign up with you all and and really have you as partners on our expansion side. If you had told me that, you know, a few years ago that we could win business and trust through a screen, I would have thought we were in kind of a scary brave new world. What's amazing though is, you know, and I think you guys would agree, that the human touch still is so crucial to that galvanizing of the relationship. I just had a situation where we're working with a new primary care concept out of California. It's a startup. They're building their first de novo clinic um, right now, and I've I've been talking to the founder and CEO for months, um, and really, you know, at almost every other day shooting ideas off each other on branding calls what should our you know what should our design look like can you recommend an architect and what's the perfect size to be where where do you think this market falls and we're doing all this through a screen and when i could travel and i did fairly early on i finally met him and it felt so weird because i he was almost like a family member already after working with him for eight months through a screen but it was so important because I hadn't had that final point which is I'm spending so much time on a little bit of a wing and a prayer to see him in person was to understand why his investors are getting so excited about him. He that charisma and that you know he he exuded energy and excitement about his own concept only could travel through the screen so much. So I think it's been a great luxury but I will tell you the limitations of of that it's taken 120 percent more effort to get about 80 percent of of the results through this screen world and managing um you know my team has been much the same way it's been really difficult and it's taken a lot more time i haven't stopped working i haven't taken a a day off my hips don't work anymore because i'm seated like this all the time but yeah it's been really tough it's just we've had we've had to work a lot harder for a little bit less of of the result at the end, so I, I, I empathize with you, and I certainly haven't had the magic bullet. I'm glad that we're we're starting to get out of it.
2: But you know, the one thing that it, just in, in hearing you speak about your experience, what I have found over, you know, over Zoom and WebEx, and Phil, you let me know if you, if you think this is the case. Uh, That it has kind of freedom. You know, people had the time to connect, right? So the idea of talking kind of every other day. The pandemic created, in a lot of cases, the space and the room to have uh, more thoughtful conversations that you might have otherwise had in in a world in which we're busy and we're traveling and we're in the car and we're on planes. And so I really feel like for both existing clients and prospective clients, you know, we've been able to you know convey convey through the screen the idea that. We want to be your strategic partner. We're not, you know, just kind of fee based or whatever, right? And you know, by by making the time, by scheduling the zooms, by by being available, and and we had the time to be available. There was a way in which you can. Uh, you know, cultivate stronger relationships. I think obviously getting in person, um, sharing a laugh, you know, sharing a handshake, whatever it is, I think that really does bring everyone closer together in in the end. But I do think that we've been able to leverage technology, and it sounds like you guys have as well, uh, to create as much of that or 93% of that or whatever it is, when maybe we wouldn't have thought that was even possible in February of 2020. So I have found some benefits, but I think Phil and I are both uh, beyond excited to be, you know, entering a new phase right now with with both current and prospective clients.
1: i I totally agree with that. I, I will add to that, um, and you guys aren't self-aggrandizing uh, sort of people, but you do have a gateway drug in how what this podcast is, and we've approached things the same way that it's not that winning the client and winning the deal is one thing keeping the client long term and really adding value is another the pandemic kind of let us uh, it, it was an, it gave us it emancipated us to be more approach per- prospective clients and contacts on a thought leadership basis of okay. you nobody's doing deals right now right Which, but our medical retail guys were absolutely about to do deals with with high velocity it was incumbent upon us, and really we were, we were, uh, you know, uninfettered to do this, to really call up a founder of, of a primary care concept and say, what are you seeing out there? I want to learn more about what your mousetrap is. What are you doing differently? Let me suggest, have you talked to so-and-so? Um, they, they have a similar message and you might have some synergies. Oh, you're a pediatric urgent care concept. I'm working with... Um, a new pediatric uh, concierge group let me introduce you to the thought leadership side and not having the airs of oh you're just a broker and you want to get the deal done it strengthened us and emboldened us to take a long-term vision of we we can meet these people and really approach them on a whole different level which is we don't we're not going to get a deal done so let's not even talk about it and that really has been the, the strengthening part of it, and why I think we're gonna we are flying coming out of this, which is we have such and this is an antiquated uh, phrase, but it's it is we have such an extensive rolodex now of experts we know that trust us because we weren't like where's the order give me the order it was about you know something that I don't which can help my client or prospective client get farther faster. Let me make the introduction and approach you on a much more thought leadership basis. And by the way, it's why we partnered with uh, with Green Target, who is is a B two B you know PR firm, that they they partnered with us to create our our 2021 retail healthcare outlook, which allowed us to interview groups that you know my friends or competitors might be actually representing them. But I can talk to them. I have an open line of communication because I'm going on the basis of what are you seeing out there? What's the landscape? Let me introduce you to the team at, at Oak Street Health or PM Pediatrics. Um, it's It's been a huge advantage. And you guys know this um, as well as anyone.
0: Yeah. I mean, that that's really why I love the podcast is it gives me an, op- and Jay, an opportunity to talk to people that's not your traditional lawyer-client relationship or lawyer, I'm pitching business. They're either asking me questions about our legal services and rate structures or, um, or people, you know, in a client context asking me legal questions and I'm giving legal answers. It's like, I love just taking the time to just ask people about their business. Exactly what you're saying. Like, how do you approach it? What do you think about, you know, what, what's your next steps? Um, just really focusing on not being a lawyer for a minute, even though I'm always a lawyer, like just to kind of focusing on trying to ask people about what they do, because I learned so much. I mean, I feel I've really enjoyed this conversation, uh, particularly because it's a lot of the same themes that I've thought about through the pandemic about how can we do things differently? How can instead of just worry about closing the next deal and the steps to prepare, like how can I help my clients how can I talk to my clients about what they want to do getting some of the space to think about big picture things about where the market's going and how the, the practice of law is changing or how the real estate market is changing um, and so I just really you, you're, you're several steps in front of me in terms of being able to to speak on the subject of these themes of of how the market's changing and keeping a team together and connecting with clients so I've really enjoyed being able to do that. And then the other thing I was thinking about is, do the millennials know what a Rolodex is? Um, I don't know if they do. You know, like, we've, we've heard that quite a bit. I doubt it.
1: I doubt it. I'm, <laughs> I'm technically, I think you're, you're right there too. I'm technically a millennial, but I, we're like the Oregon Trail millennials, right? We, we do things the, the same antiquated way that uh, the generation above us does, and we don't know any of the technology of, of that which is below us. So, um, no, they don't know what a Rolodex is.
0: <laughs> well, Willie, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate you coming on the show. Um, you know, I look forward to, to seeing what you and Tether Advisors does in the future.
1: Awesome. I really appreciate the invite. It was a great conversation, and thank you guys so much.
0: This publication is intended for general information purposes only and does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. The listener should consult with legal counsel to determine how laws or decisions discussed herein apply to the listener's specific circumstances.